Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be continuing our series that we began last Sunday called Co-Mission. Around Wildwood, the last number of months, we've been studying the book of Romans, and we're all the way into chapters 15 and 16 now. And in this section of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, and he reminds us of the mission that he was called to. And then he invites the Romans, and by application, he invites us to join him on that mission. Really, it's a a commission that we share together, a great commission that Christ gave to the church to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. Paul knew that was his calling, and he invited the Romans, and he invites us to join him on that mission. But before we, we look at this next installment today that will help us understand a little more how we can engage in that mission, um, I want uh, to just reflect a little bit on this last week. This has been a big week. There was an election on Tuesday. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, but uh, this, this room right here actually was, was full of people all day Tuesday as two different precincts voted here in our building. And many of us went to our polling place around town and cast a vote for uh, a number of offices, including President of the United States. It's a, been a big week that way. Also, yesterday was Veterans Day, or Friday was Veterans Day. And uh, a lot of things on our, on, our, on our minds about our veterans. And, and because of those two things, I, I've been thinking a lot about just patriotism in our country and, and things like that. And I have a couple of quotes God brought to my mind connected to what we're going to talk about today. One of those quotes comes from Thomas Jefferson. He wrote this in a letter to a friend um, right before he left office as President of the United States back in 1809. Uh, This quote from Jefferson was included on a plaque at the base of the Jefferson face at Mount Rushmore. I saw it this summer, took a picture of it because it so stuck with me. This is what Jefferson wrote to a friend. He said, Never did a prisoner released from his chains feel such relief as I shall on shaking off the shackles of power. Nature intended me for the tranquil pursuits of science by rendering them my supreme delight. But the enormities of the times in which I have lived have forced me to take a part in resisting them and to commit myself on the boisterous ocean of political passions. Thomas Jefferson back in 1809. We hear of Jefferson's sacrifice and we think, well, that was worth it because he was a part of the founding of a nation. It makes sense to us. But there have been others who have sacrificed over time for our country, haven't they? With Veterans Day on Friday, I saw a short video that reminded us of a speech that Ronald Reagan gave on his inauguration back in 1981, where he quoted from a man named Martin Triptow, a World War I soldier from the upper Midwest, a barber by trade who went to serve his country at war. He kept a journal, and before he died on the battlefield, Triptow wrote this, He said, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work. I will save. I will sacrifice. I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost, as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. 
we read that and, and we're inspired by that. And we think it was worth it for him to lay down his life for his country on the noble pursuit of the battlefields of World War I. See, we're, we're used to this idea of laying down our lives for something greater, and we think of it often as it relates to our country and to patriotism. But friends, I, I want to suggest to us today that we have been called to a greater battle. We've been called to a greater mission, something far greater than the establishing of a country or far greater than winning a war. Think about what Jefferson's sacrifice led to, a nation that is now 240 years old. That is substantial. But it compares nothing to the kingdom that Jesus is building that will go on into eternity. And think of the sacrifice that Treptow made. It preserved peace in the earth for a decade, 15 years. And yet we are invited into a mission that can help people pass from death to life, not for a decade, but for eternity. We have been invited and called to a mission that Christ has guaranteed, and he's invited us to join him in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because of that, it is worth our sacrifice. Because of that, it is worth our attention. Because of that, it is worth us reorganizing our lives around the purposes that Christ has in the, in the earth. But the question that we often come to is, well, how? How is it that my life can connect to Jesus' great commission? What would it look like for me to engage with Christ in the things that he is doing in places that I might never visit? Well, we find a, an answer to that in the book of Romans chapter 15, verse 22 through chapter 16, verse 16. In these verses that we're going to look at today, uh, Paul offers a number of ways that we can partner with Christ in what he is doing in the world, how we can join this commission with him. I'm thankful that God has given us this direction, and I'm excited for us to look at it today as we think of how we can be involved in what Christ is doing in the world. Now, I'm going to begin by reading for us the first section of these verses. I'm going to read for us chapter 15, verse 22 through verse 33. Now, we're going to look at a little bit chapter 16, 1 through 16 together, and you might wonder, why is it that I'm not going to read those verses to you? Uh, the answer is simple. You don't want to hear me mispronounce all of those names. Um, I don't skip those verses because they're not important. We're going to talk about their importance when we get there, but the bulk of our time is going to be spent in the first last section there of chapter 15, and so I'll read those for us, and then we'll look at three things we can see, three ways we can partner in the great commission of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes and says this. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been well pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. 
When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, in these verses today, we're going to see three different ways that we can partner in Christ's great commission. The first way that we see that we can partner is that we can partner with provisions. We can partner with provisions. We see this in chapter 15, verses 22 through 29. See, Paul writes to the Roman church, and he writes to them, again, remember, we talked about this last week, as a church that he had never visited. Paul had a desire to visit the church in Rome, but he had never been there. Romans chapter 1 lets us know that. And the reason why Paul had never visited the Roman church was not just practical, but it was strategic. Paul had made a decision strategically that God had set him on this course of a mission to the Gentiles, to people who had never heard. He was going to build on no one else's foundation and proclaim the gospel in pioneer areas. And so because of that, Paul never went to Rome. There was a church that already existed in Rome, so Paul focused his attention in other places, primarily in the areas around other parts of of Europe and Asia. But by the time Paul writes this letter, it seems as though Paul is is sensing that that strategic mission that he had been on in Europe and Asia was drawing to a close. Not that every person in Europe and Asia had been reached, but there were churches in strategic cities that now could reach their region for Christ. We know that because Paul wrote other letters to churches in Galatia and to churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. Those were all cities where gospel movements had started. Paul had invested the first section of his life in ministry, reaching those cities and planting churches in those cities. And and now that those cities had a movement for Christ in them, Paul was on his way to visit them in Rome. We see this in verse 22 and following. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, in other words, there's already churches in these cities. He says, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul had a desire to to see them. But once again, you notice Paul's ultimate desire is to continue to fulfill the strategic mission that God had given him. Paul wants to stop and see the church in Rome, but he wanted to see them on way to where? On the way to Spain. Now, when we hear Spain... We think of some place uh, very close to Rome. You may have done a tour of Europe before and may have made stops in Barcelona or in Madrid um, while you also were in Rome or Venice. Uh, We think of those locations as being close because relatively speaking from here they are. But think of it from Paul's perspective. Spain was the end of the earth. In an era before a knowledge of the Americas, that that was the edge of the universe for him. And Paul desired to take the gospel beyond the city of Rome to the pioneer field 
of Spain, and he wanted to preach the gospel there. But on the way to preaching the gospel to the Spanish people, Paul wanted to stop in, in Rome. Well, why did he want to do that? Well, he wanted to be encouraged by them. He wanted to encourage them. He had heard about this great church in Rome. He wanted to spend a little time with them. But also, he wanted to invite them to partner with him in his mission to take the gospel where it had never been before, and he wanted to partner with them through provisions. Look at at what it says there in verse 24. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And then he says, and to be helped on my journey there by you. What does this word help mean? The word help that is used here is a word that became almost a technical term inside of Christian missions, New Testament speaking. As a matter of fact, the the most prominent lexicon of the Greek uh, New Testament sees this word and and defines it this way. It it says that help here means to help somebody on their journey by providing for them food or money or companionship in their travels or helping arrange travel for them. You see, Paul was inviting them to partner with provisions they had so that he could take the gospel where it had never been before. In a sense, this is Paul's prayer letter asking for them to join him on that mission. Now, what's interesting, when, when you hear this mentioned here, um, somebody requesting the partnership of provisions for the proclamation of the gospel, that ought to ring a bell to many of us. Because in our day and age, it's, it's not rare for us to find that someone wants to go someplace, either for a short-term mission trip or for a long-term move to proclaim the gospel in a gospel-poor or gospel-deprived area. We're very familiar with this. Um, this concept of requesting provisions from one place to minister the gospel in another goes all the way back. It has its roots in the New Testament. It has its roots in places like Romans chapter 15, where Paul is asking for a partnership of provision that will help him go and to proclaim the gospel. And friends, today as we gather, we have the opportunity to partner in our provisions to help the proclamation of the gospel around the world as well. In many of the same ways in which the Roman church could partner with Paul, we can partner with missionary partners today. One of the ways that we partner with them is through finances. You know, Wildwood has a number of missionary partners around the world that minister within this country and other cities, but also minister in Mexico and in Nicaragua, uh, down in, in Brazil, over in France, in different parts of Asia. Wildwood has missionary partners around the world, and we support them financially. As a matter of fact, when you give money to Wildwood and are offering, a portion of those funds is going to help support missionaries with our provisions for the proclamation of the gospel around the world. Why do we do that? We do that because of a biblical anchor, because of a commission that Christ gave us. And we're called to do that as well. Many of you have gone beyond that, though, not just in giving to the church that gives to people, but you as an individual or as a family have collected some of your provisions and have provided them in a monthly way or an annual way to support missions around the world. It's right for us to do that, partnering with our provisions for the proclamation of the gospel. Not only do we partner with our provisions in terms of our money, but we also partner with the things that we have, with, with food and, and with companionship, with the material blessings that we have. You know, when missionaries come here and they, they, they visit 
here with us, we have an opportunity to be a blessing to them by helping to provide for their needs. You know, in your bulletin today, there's a listing of an opportunity that somebody, one of our missionary partners needs a place to live for a few months after the first of the year. Maybe some of you have an opportunity that you could bless one of our missionaries that way and and so fulfill Paul's call of partnering with our provisions. We've got a number of missionaries who are coming in the month of January here to Wildwood and One of the things they're going to need is transportation, and Kimberly and I have had a conversation. Could we get by without one of our cars for a while so that our vehicle could be a blessing to one of our partners in Christ around the world? I say that not to prop ourselves up and say that we always do it right. I'm just saying that we're trying to wrestle through what this looks like for us as well. Not only the people that we support on the field, but how can the blessings that God has given us be mobilized to help proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth? Wildwood has a thing called the 3J Network, organized by our global outreach team. If you go to our website under Serve and Global Partners, you can find their opportunities to offer any service that you might have to visiting missionaries. It's a great way for us to get involved in partnering with our provisions. Also, we can partner with them by visiting them, helping them along their travels. One of the things that a number of our folks did Last fall was had a chance to go to East Asia and visit some of our missionaries there to encourage them, to help them on their travels. A number of our short-term trips do the same thing. We've got a group of college students who are headed to East Asia just right after the first of the year. What a blessing it is for us to partner with the provisions that we have to encourage those in the field. Friends, we're called to partner with our provisions. Paul wanted them to join him in his ministry to Spain. But Paul also wanted them to join him in a different ministry of provision and blessing in the other direction, all the way back to Jerusalem. Verse 25, at present, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings." They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Paul was gathering an offering of provision to take to the Christians who lived in Jerusalem. This was not an outreach in the sense of reaching non-Christians with the gospel, but this was caring for believers in another part of the world, taking some provisions from Europe and offering them as a blessing the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think for just a moment with me about the cost that this was to Paul. Certainly, there was the cost to the believers in that region of the world that made this offering that Paul delivered, but think about the cost to Paul to do this. When Paul wrote this letter, he was actually in the city of Corinth. And so, if you look on the map, right there in the middle, this is where Paul was when he wrote this. Paul was gathering a collection from Macedonia and Achaia. Think of Um, northern and southern Greece, the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. Among those churches, there was an offering that was generated in Corinth, and Paul's desire was to take that to Jerusalem, a journey of some 800 miles by sea. And after Paul delivered that, that offering to the saints in Jerusalem, it was Paul's desire then to go all the way back to Rome, a journey of some 1,500 miles by sea. And then after the visit to Rome, Paul was headed to Spain, another 700-mile journey. When you add all that up, Paul was committing 3,000 miles of travel. 
And, and not travel like in our day. I don't think he was getting like frequent flyer miles. Um, he, he wasn't upgraded to first class. Uh, this was a challenging time to travel, and Paul made that commitment. Now, why would Paul do that? In some sense, when you hear this and when you look at that, you're like, how inefficient. Surely someone else could have made the delivery of those funds back to Jerusalem. Why did Paul think it so important that he would go all the way there? I think the reason why Paul does this is, is twofold. First of all, he saw a, a connection inside of the body of Christ between Jew and Gentile believer. He saw a, a deep connection there. He fought for it. And Paul believed that the Gentile church owed something to the Jewish church in the sense that the Jewish people had stewarded the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for you know, centuries so that now there was a blessing that was offered to the Gentiles. Therefore, the Gentiles had a special kinship with their Jewish believers that they wanted to reach back out and and care for them. But also, I think Paul saw this as a strategic opportunity for Paul to show the unity of the church between Jew and Gentile. It was a contentious situation between these two groups. But can you imagine the surprise on the face of Jewish Christians potentially? When they found out that there were Gentile Christians hundreds of miles away who were mindful of their situation and would reach out some of their provisions to be a blessing to them. Friends, our provisions show our unity within the body of Christ. We make offerings to missionaries on the field. We take a collection to provide to those who are suffering around the world. Why? To show our solidarity as part of the body of Christ. It's worth our sacrifice. It's worth our partnership. We partner together with our provisions. How does God want you to partner with your provisions? The next thing that we see is that we can partner with prayer. We can partner with prayer. Now we see this in verses 30 through 33. Paul asks them not just to give him material goods, but he wants them to be in prayer with him as well. He says in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul makes a Trinitarian appeal there. The Lord Jesus, the Spirit, and God the Father, all referenced here. Paul's serious. He wants the Roman Christians to pray with him in this ministry. He wants them to partner in that way. Now, he he says here that he wants them to strive together. Now, that word strive is a word that is used in athletic contexts. It's a word that would be used of a wrestler who is wrestling. Have you ever been to a wrestling match and watched a wrestler wrestle? When, When wrestlers wrestle, every muscle in their body is tense and tight and flexed. Because they are, they are exerting such force. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul invites the Roman church to strive in that way for prayer, for what God is doing around the world. It's one of the ways that they can partner. I think about this word strive, and I think about an experience I had when I was at OU. Um, I went to an amateur boxing event. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to an amateur boxing event, but it is an amazing experience. Because you get two people in the ring that have not spent a lot of time boxing, and for 15 seconds, they really go at it. And then after about 15 seconds, inevitably, there is one participant in the fight who can no longer keep his hands above his waist. 
and then the other person just finishes the deal. Um, that's the way that amateur boxing goes. And I, when I was thinking about that and related to this, this passage, and I think about um, how we are called to strive together in prayer. We're called to keep our hands up, friends. We're called to keep, keep our hands up in prayer, partnering with God. And, and the question is, do we do that? It's so easy for us not to. Friends, it's easy for me not to. It's easy to go days and weeks without praying for what God is doing around the world. It's easy for us to get consumed only with what we see. And yet God has invited us to strive together in prayer for what is happening around the world. If you have a part of supporting a missionary on the field, you know that you get these letters back. And those letters are not just junk mail. They're not just a requirement from the missionary on the field. They're an invitation for us to partner together with them by praying for the things that God is doing through them in places that we don't see. We're called to partner together with prayer. Now, what are we called to pray for? Well, Paul gives some prayer requests. Verse 31, he he asked them to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul really offers two requests there. One, he offers the, ask them to pray on his behalf uh, that he would be safe. The second prayer request is for effectiveness in his mission or his ministry. Now, are those two prayers that you have ever prayed for someone who's going on a mission trip or a missionary in the field? Have you ever prayed for their safety? Lord, give them safe travel. Protect them in that environment. You ever prayed that? Paul asked for that prayer. It's it's acceptable. It's good for us to pray for that. Have you ever prayed for effectiveness in their ministry? It's good for us to pray for that. Paul acknowledges that here and asks for those kinds of prayers. As we pray for those in the field, these are things that we can pray for as well. But when you think about it, does God answer those prayers? And if so, how does he answer those prayers? You know, I want to just highlight what John Stott says about this because he makes an interesting observation about how God answers these prayers. He says, was Paul delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem? No, in the sense that he was arrested, tried, and imprisoned. But also, yes, because he was three times rescued from lynching, once from flogging, and once from a plot to kill him. These are all things taken from the book of Acts. So then did he reach Rome? Well, yes, indeed, as Jesus had promised him he would, but neither when nor how he had expected. For Paul arrived about three years later as a prisoner, and after an almost fatal shipwreck. Friends, I want to just share that with us as a reminder that when we pray, God's answers to our prayers don't always look like sunshine and puppy dogs. There's times when we pray to God and His answer is yes and no. He answers it in ways different than we might have imagined. That happens on the mission field. It happens in our lives. But When that happens, we need to trust God's sovereignty. When we look at the biblical record, we we know God cared 
deeply about the mission that Paul was on, and we know that God cared deeply about Paul. He sent his son to die for him. He's a Bible character. We, we grasp that, but we need to remember that even for someone that was on a mission that God believed in, that was, on, that was a person that God loved, that even for those situations, even in those situations, God's answers are yes and no, and sometimes just no. And God is inviting us to trust him for the way that he answers the prayers that we offer. We're called to partner in prayer. How does that look in your life? How are you praying for God's work around the world? Partnering with our provisions, partnering with prayer. The third thing that we see is partnering with people. Partnering with people. This is found in the first 16 verses of chapter 16, and we're moving quickly through this, but it's not because these are insignificant verses. I would encourage you to go back and read through this. It's encouraging to see this list of names. There's 26 different names that are listed here. They're a reminder to us that God wants us to partner with people for the gospel to go forth around the world. That's the way that God has designed it. I think also it's important for us to see that the 26 people that Paul mentions here are people that Paul knew. He had come into contact with them. They had moved to Rome. Remember, Paul had never been to Rome, but because Rome was such an influential city, people that Paul had met around the Mediterranean had moved there. And as they had moved there, Paul had kept a relationship with them, and he was continuing to partner with them, people like Priscilla and Aquila and others who were referenced in this this passage. I think it's fascinating for me to see that the partnerships that Paul has because sometimes when we see a name in the Bible, we think those must be like the Hall of Fame people. I mean, their name is in the Bible. They must be the best. But I don't think that's the case. I think these are the people that Paul knew. They're the people that he came into contact with. I mean, nowhere on here is, is Peter mentioned or Thomas or some of the other apostles. I mean, if we're going to put a Hall of Fame, surely at least... Some of those cats would have been on there, right? But they're not there. Instead, these 26 names are there. What do we make of that? What we make of that is that God is sovereign over the relationships that we have and the people that he brings into our life. And when we come into contact with people, there's a God who is behind that and who wants to use those relationships to leverage the gospel around the world. One of the privileges we have as a church and those that we partner with around the world is that people come through our city and they go to the field and we're able to go with them as we partner, as they go. It was the way it was in the city of Rome. It's the way it is here. I have partners in the Middle East, partners mobilizing people for missions around the United States, partners in, in Mexico that I've been able to be in small group with. And now they're serving Christ around the world. I praise God for that. We have the opportunity to partner with those that God brings around us. And it's a diverse group. Inside of this list, there are, are names that are the names of slaves, but there's also in this list uh, people who were a part of the emperor's household, Aristobulus and the Herodians and Narcissus, these, these influential families. There's diversity in those whom God calls. There's men and women, nine different women are mentioned here, and they're mentioned in prominent roles. Phoebe as a deaconess, Junia as someone who is Ministry was recognized by believers all around. She was a a missionary force. Priscilla, who was used to train people in churches around, including Apollos himself. 
There's significant diversity, men and women, slave and free, but God is building a network of people that we would partner together for the proclamation of gospel to the end of the earth. God's invited us to partner with our provisions, with our prayer, with our people. I began by reading some quotes about the commitment that Americans have had to our cause. But I want to end with some quotes of missionaries in the commitment that they have had in proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. One such missionary was C.T. Studd, missionary to Asia in the late 1800s, early 1900s, says this. He says, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And then the great Jim Elliott, American missionary to the Aka Indian, who gave his life sharing the gospel with them, says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, the sacrifice that we make in the partnership of proclaiming the gospel is absolutely worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to partner with you in the global mission you've invited us on. Thank you that Jesus has said that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know that victory is certain. But Father, thank you that in the midst of this victory, you have invited us to partner with you, with our provisions and with our prayers and with those that you have placed around us that we might join you in this commission. Thank you, Lord, for including us and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.